Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Sarab Lada, CEO and co-founder of Doxel Incorporated. Doxel monitors construction sites using autonomous robots, quantifies progress using deep learning-based computer vision, and provides managers with actionable insights to eliminate overruns and costly delays. For more information, feel free to visit www.doxel.com. Doxel.ai, that's www.doxel.ai. Hello, Sarab. We're excited and honored to have you on the Modern Architect radio show and podcast today. Thank you very much. Yeah, super excited to be here. Thank you for that uh, introduction, Darlene and Tom. Thank you. So, Rob, I'd like to start with um, early inspiration. If you can go back as as, as far as you can recall to where you are now and sort of where you began, even if it's in your childhood, like kind of going, think to yourself, you know, I kind of see, saw this a little bit, you know, when I was younger, if you can recall that far back and just early inspiration. Yeah, yeah. I think the early inspiration was actually a lot of pain in uh, 96 when I was about five years old. Um, so my dad is a copper rod manufacturing entrepreneur in India and uh, in 95, he basically put our life savings on the line, being the superhero that he is, to start a business. And the first phase of starting that copper manufacturing business was getting his factory constructed. Mm. And unfortunately, that project ran wildly over schedule, which is very common in construction. Sure. And because uh, it was a debt-financed project, basically the bank had rights to take our home away. So, oh my, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty tough because production, you know, wasn't going to start on time, and I was about five years old. This was '96 when I started noticing things around the home, and it's funny how many things kids can pick up, but I knew something was wrong because. Uh-huh. You know, kids always feel like their parents are, you know, amazing, who can protect them from everything in the world. And unfortunately for me, that bubble burst very early on because I realized that the threat was real. 
I, I actually discovered it when my mom swapped out uh, my favorite brand of cereal for something a lot cheaper. And when I asked her about... Oh, wow. That's subtle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When I asked her about why she did that, she actually started crying. So I, that's when I knew that something was seriously wrong. And uh, that kind of became the motivation for solving this problem. Excellent. I mean, not excellent that that happened, but uh, it's tremendous that you've taken something like that pain and brought it into something that's uh, going to alleviate a lot of pain for a lot of people. And hopefully this, and I'm sure they will alleviate a lot of pain for children's lives as well. How do you... Um, Take it to Doxo. How how did you co-found this, and you know what what inspired that to sure. become what you're uh, what you're obsessed? Am I, is obsessed the right word or passionate? Both <laughs> obsessed, obsessed is uh, focused, is committed. Certainly, is certainly a word that can be associated with me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I, I just have to make a quick exception because sure. I don't want uh, everyone listening to the show to be uh, sad for too long. So things worked out <laughs> yeah. with uh, with my parents. Yeah. They, you know, my dad uh, managed to get the product production started two years late, but it did start and everything worked out. And he went on to acquire more uh, factories and things like that. So things worked out. Yeah. But it was a tough time for us. Yeah. So anyway, uh, talking about specifically, you know, how Doxel came to be. So for that, let me pick back up on what happened when I turned seven, which is when the factory finally got delivered. So everything in life really is serendipity. And when I look back, it's funny how kind of the stars aligned and led me to where I am today. At the age of seven, I started going to the factory to watch (laughs) copper being manufactured. And roughly around the age of nine, they started allowing me to program the machines And what I realized was that the entire production line was really a giant robot. It had, it was state of the art. It had hundreds of thousands of sensors installed in every single machine that were relaying production rates as well as conducting quality control in real time, relaying this information back to a human operator and asking for help as and when needed. So it was rare that this production facility would go down for anything more than three minutes in like six months. That's how good it was. And I I remember watching one of these events where I was in the control room and this uh, piercing alarm rang out. And all of a sudden, you know, I was nine. I was the boss's kid. Everyone was giving me attention. All of a sudden, people stopped paying attention to me. They started, everyone was tense. And three guys were running to the same point on the production line And in less than three minutes, these three guys got a furnace that was like 45, 50 feet tall up and running. And for me, it was a surreal moment. Yeah, I I was nine. I was just like, how are these small guys (laughs) pulling this off? Yeah. And uh, they then showed me the this monitor, which was called the HMI, the human machine interface, which showed which sensor had alerted them, what had gone wrong, told them how to fix the problem. So before they started running out to the shop floor, they already had the part in their hand that they had to replace. And it was that kind of extreme production environment which left a very big impression on me. So fast forward to, you know, my life post Stanford, which is where I went to grad school. I, I left Stanford and I started digging around to discover, you know, what the problem is in construction. And what I discovered was that in construction, while people often know how many person hours are being invested in the project, they don't have a real-time understanding of how much work is getting done and whether it's getting done correctly. So 
it's not uncommon in construction to find out four to eight weeks later that they've been lagging behind for four to eight weeks. And that's when kind of that connection took place that, hey, in manufacturing, we have real-time feedback. And that was the inspiration for what we've created at Doxel for uh, construction. Excellent. So how did you go about, like, when, what made you decide, or was it an aha moment or an epiphany where you went, this is what I'm going to create, and here's the company name, and here's, uh, here's the, the means to solve these problems? Aha moments are a myth. They don't happen. What starts off is a very small aha moment. Then you go out, you talk to customers. They say, no, 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 that's not really an aha moment. That's not what we want. But we were fortunate to have a few customer advisors very early on. They were motivated by our vision, our goal of solving this problem of real-time feedback. I think we didn't really understand the means until we'd spent six or seven months uh, with customers. And that's when we finally kind of started getting resonance on the solution. We just kept pivoting, you know? Yeah. So is, is that even continuous now? There's always a pivot? Oh, Maybe I, not. I wouldn't say a pivot. We've been kind of locked in on the solution format and the style and things like that for a while now. So the pivots aren't quite as dramatic, but I think any company, even after going public, is constantly pivoting to stay ahead of the game. And that's what we keep doing at Doxel. Um, we, we have a very simple rule, which is don't write a single line of code until a customer is willing to pay for it. Okay. Uh, frankly, I picked that up from uh, a man who changed my life at Stanford, a gentleman called Steve Blank, who talks about customer discovery. And, um, you know, that's the kind of methodology that we have at this company. Yeah, Steve Blank has also been on our show so actually twice now uh, with the lean startup and that, that yeah. whole process there. So it obviously positively influenced you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he changed my life. Really? Absolutely. That's significant. Yeah. Wow. As he's involved that in, we haven't talked in like a couple We're of weeks. Touch. Yeah. 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 Well, that's terrific that you did. So um, what's been your response to uh, uh, AI within the construction industry? How has the customers or prospective customers responded to the, the advantage for them? I think that there's a lot of talk in construction about construction being technically backward and things of that nature and construction being tech averse. And I just, I frankly think all of that is BS. I think that's an excuse for products that don't solve real needs. I have never met a customer who says that I don't want to use this because it's artificial intelligence after they see what value it can create right? Uh, they're solution-oriented people. And frankly, any customer in any industry is a solution-oriented person. No one is tech-averse or tech-pro. It's just ultimately about the value it creates. So in terms of the response that we've seen, it's overwhelmingly positive. We came out of stealth in late January. And frankly, we didn't expect this level of response that we've received from the industry. I think in terms of, you know, after we launch on sites, there's always a couple of weeks of, is the AI doing its job right? And then indefinitely, we have, to, we have to demonstrate why it's making certain decisions and show the data that led to that decision. But to the credit of my team, uh, after about three weeks, people start trusting it. Uh, uh, that's soon, huh? Pretty soon, yeah. Yeah, three weeks. So I like touch on the word value. Those in the industry, the myth is... You're saying the myth is that they don't understand it's either new technologies or new way or different ways of doing it. But if they, what they do understand is what is the value that it creates. Yep. Was that something you knew early on or something you discovered while in the process? You mean before I started the company? Yes. I think I was very well aware of that early on. Like I said, we're a very 
customer focused company and we start from the customer first and then work our way backwards to the technology. We don't do it the other way around. And I think that it's, if you keep yourself grounded and you do that, it's unlikely that you'll build something that people don't want because you're always asking them what to do before you build it. Yes. How do you reach your, your, uh, your clients or customers? Do you, do they come to you? You come to them both? They come to us now. Yeah. We've, we've had uh, customers from uh, over 14 countries contact us and, uh, you know, request for deployments within their, within their uh, countries. And uh, obviously in the United States as well, most of the top players in the field, we are already in contact with. And they came to us after we came out of stealth. So I just think that it's a use case that's resonating tremendously in the industry. And if you think about what real-time feedback, real-time installed quantities can accomplish in this industry, it's absolutely transformative because you can start having potentially at some point payments being automated, uh, schedules being optimized completely automatically. Uh, If you push this technology out 20 years, that's going to start happening. Uh, Almost every site. Almost every site, yeah. Whether it's commercial, primarily commercial, correct? Civic, industrial, uh, for now exclusive? We, for now, we focus mostly on complex construction projects, manufacturing, okay. oil and gas, uh, healthcare, life sciences, so on and so forth. Down the road, obviously, I do think that as sensors become more and more accessible, the technology will be mainstream and will will be used in every single construction site across the world. Excellent. So Rob, can you tell us how we're, we're obviously we're on radio, so we're going to have to utilize the theater of the mind, how the process works. And I like that you said request for deployment. A firm contacts you and tells you their problem. They understand or they've known who can solve it for it and you're it. How soon does the request for deployment take place once they've uh, reached out to you? So... At this point in our company's life, we are we are selective about the customers we take on just because the workflow is new, the process is new, and a company that has the process maturity, I'd say, to be able to leverage that data and get the maximum value out of it is important. So what we do is we once we have initial conversations with the company and we identify that they want it for the same reasons that we've built the product... We then go about doing an exploration process, uh, which maybe takes anywhere between two to four weeks, where we identify a project that's the right project with the right people to introduce a new workflow. And that's how we get started and launch on that project. And we've done a few of those thus far, and uh, every one of them has been overwhelmingly successful. The first project that we did, I can't name the company. It's one of the largest healthcare companies in in America. From a national average of construction projects running 80% over budget, the first project that they completed with our technology came in a massive 11% under budget. Under budget? Under budget. So that's just one of the success stories that we have of how powerful this real-time feedback can be if put in the right team's hands. You're listening to the Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Teach for America is a national core of outstanding recent college graduates and professionals who commit to teaching for two years in urban and rural public schools in lower-income areas nationwide. If you're a college senior interested in being part of this core, or if you'd like to help support the program, visit teachforamerica.org. We're talking today with Sarab 
Lada, a Forbes 30 under 30 for enterprise tech and CEO and co-founder of Doxel Incorporated. Doxel brings artificial intelligence to construction. For more information, feel free to visit www.doxel.ai. That's www.doxel.ai. Sarab, you're talking about uh, 11% under budget. Is there, if you're at liberty to share, a mean average of under budget with the the projects? With the projects that we've done? It's different for every company. You know, I don't really want to get into specifics beyond that simply because every project is different. The key thing is that it's based on what we've seen thus far. It's very difficult to argue that the product is not delivering an increase in labor productivity just with better planning and better resource management from daily feedback. You yeah. Know. So how 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 does the work? It's the, the units I've I've seen uh, on your website and some of the press releases that uh, you have a ground base and you also utilize uh, drone mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that do they work in concert with each other to manage that whole process? How does it work yeah. know, for our listeners? Yeah. So essentially, Doxel is a tool that can track progress or measure progress rather. Tracking progress is a little bit vague. Measure progress and inspect quality all the way from excavation to closeout. Usually the drones are used for the first, I'd say 20% of the project when structural steel, etc. are being erected. Excavation through structural steel, concrete. But after the building is building in the dry, as they say, when it's closed out, 80% of the money in construction is spent indoors. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's uh, not very well known in this industry. I mean, in robotics industry, you know. (laughs) So until and unless you can capture indoor data, there's not a lot of value to these technologies. So what, you know, initially we use drones and then our autonomous ground rovers go into a construction site, laser scan it every single day, collect terabytes of data, pipe it up to our cloud where our proprietary deep learning algorithm automatically identifies all sorts of objects in the construction site like pipes and ducts and so on and so forth. Oh, even tolerances, I noticed. Even tolerances, exactly. And it's a rocket science problem to solve this in computer vision because if you think about the number of things that exist on a construction site, the number of different types of objects, the fact that there's clutter on the ground, the fact that a pipe on the ground means something completely different from a pipe on the ceiling, right? Our algorithm, our deep learning is smart enough to not only recognize objects, but also contextualize it and say that, hey, this pipe is on the floor versus this pipe is on overhead, it's on the ceiling. And both of those mean different things. So once that happens, you know, our system measures the installed quantities and then our web dashboard cross-references that against the project's budget and schedule and provides literally a dollar figure. (laughs) But this is how much money was put in place today. That yeah. is beautiful. How does it, can it, uh, if I'm reaching, tell me so, but how does it even differentiate between like a telephone pole and maybe even a tree? Is it is it able to do that? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. And this wouldn't have been possible even two years ago. The reason it's becoming possible is because deep learning allows you to create abstractions that are significantly better for this use case than, you know, classic computer vision, if you will, you know, with sort of heuristic computer vision, you would have to program the computer to recognize, say, a pipe with a certain type of sensor in a certain environment and of a specific shape, of a specific size. And then you would have to reprogram the computer to recognize a pipe that looked a little bit different 
or that was captured with a different sensor on a different site with a different environment, which is impossible to scale. Yeah. You, you just yeah, can't build no a business with that. The value of deep learning is that the level of abstraction can be at a point where in layman's terms, this is what a pipe looks like. And it's able to recognize pipes from different types of sensors, from different construction sites, in different types of environments, with different types of clutter. And not only do it for just pipes, but do it for ducts, seismic bracing, hangers, so on and so forth, right? So the degree to which this technology can scale with deep learning is is phenomenal. And frankly, without it, we wouldn't exist as a business. How how far underground and how high up, if you ever quantified it, can – would you, you call them the rovers? The, uh... Yeah. The uh, the rovers in in how far high, how high up and how how far down have you gone or can you go? There's no limit to how far down we okay. can go. I mean, the ground robot can't fly, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all terrain, correct? I've seen it's, it goes upstairs. It does. It uh, does go upstairs. Uh, and does it detect like human near or anything? It does. Okay. It does. It it does do that. Honestly, autonomous robotics is not significantly tough technology. Uh, Teaching a robot how to navigate a construction site is hard, but it's not as hard as it may seem. These technologies have existed in in a nascent state for well over 10 years. They're reaching uh, maturity now. The thing that's really, really hard is how do you teach a computer to process that data and to update progress for hundreds of thousands of line items in a budget or in a schedule? That's hard. Right. You, you traditionally you've always needed a person to do that and to say that's a that's a quarter inch pipe, that's a half inch pipe, that's yeah. an X duct, that's a Y duct. So the robots are you know, they can travel over dirt, they can drive in trenches, they can go upstairs, and then we've got the aerial option as well. So we're able to capture comprehensively an entire construction site. Yeah, how active are they? Is there, is there a time frame with, with which they operate? Or you set that, or the owner sets that? No, we set that. We okay. offer a turnkey solution. So what we commit to owners and general contractors is that you're going to get an updated dashboard and we're going to handle everything else on the back end. So we set the timings and uh, usually the systems drive after hours. Uh, drones aren't allowed to fly at night. So just because of regulatory issues. So we fly drones roughly 3 p.m. to say 4.30 after there's no one on site. But the robots operate at night. How quick do your clients get the kind of the onboarding process to it? Is there a time that you can set aside a week, several weeks, a few days before you're like, okay, we're going to deploy this? How soon usually do they kind of grasp it or they let you handle all of this? No, I think that every project's requirements are a little bit different. So percent complete is sort of the common denominator, which everyone wants. But some people want to see percent complete in, you know, a certain format. Some want to see it in, in another. Think about it as, you know, English, Spanish, French, so on and so forth, right? Okay, good. So that translation and understanding a customer's needs takes about four weeks to set up uh, with maybe a customer spending about three to four hours a week with us. So if you think about a three-year-long project and a customer having to invest you know, 12 to 20 hours and then they're set to go for the next three years, that's pretty phenomenal for a use case that can deliver such customized value. Yeah. What sort of challenges, initial challenges in starting up Doxel that did you encounter? If, again, if you're at liberty to share with us. No, sure, sure. Yeah. I, think, I think the biggest challenge 
that I think any early stage founder encounters is just figuring out precisely what customers want, you know, the conventional kind of product market fit problem. And we've come out of that now, but, uh, you know, while you're in it, it's it's just incredibly frustrating because you you <laughs> you said incredibly frustrating. Is it is it is it almost uh, like uh, what are we doing here? Or no, just like how do we solve this problem? I mean, what? No, oftentimes yeah. it's just what are we doing here? Is the problem that we are solving even the right problem to solve? And is the way that we are solving yeah. it the right way to solve it? And obviously, at a higher level, you know, the problem that you're solving makes sense. I want to bring projects in under budget and ahead of schedule. But when you get a little more granular than that, which you have to, it becomes very, very nerve-wracking to find the signal from the noise. Find the signal from the noise. Yeah. How do you do it? Do you have a process, your a personal process that you go through now that you've had a lot of experience with these that you go, okay, uh, I've been here kind of before? Yeah. I think it starts with customers. Um, you got to ask customers a certain set of questions that's sort of pre-prepared and that tests your assumptions. And how you communicate is critical in that because oftentimes you, you think you're saying thing A and the customer is actually thinking thing B and then the answer you get back just adds to the noise. Okay. But after a certain point, a pattern begins to emerge Yeah. between multiple customers. I like how you, you said that you test your assumptions. Are you, <laughs> I know before we even started the interview, you know, you had to come in and you were on the phone. Is that a constant occurrence where you kind of test your assumptions? Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. There's always 50 experiments that are going on in my mind over the next month. Oh my goodness. Uh, and- 50. I mean, that's a, I don't know if you've, you've actually quantified a, about 50 or it's like that many. That you, you, you order of magnitude. There's just a lot of ideas that uh, you're constantly testing and you're trying to figure out, yeah. and uh, and that's what it takes. Yeah, as uh, Steve, uh, as Steve, go back to Steve Blank had said before: is it uh, entrepreneurship require is a twenty four seven job? Do you agree? One hundred percent. Yeah. There's no other way. There's no other way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think. You know, I mean, I don't want to focus too much on myself, but... No, please do. It's your show. <laughs> I, uh, the audience wants to hear you. You know, my a lot of people in my life often say, I don't know how to switch off, and I don't. So I, I just don't. It's... Uh, it's just all, it's 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 a fun video game. You're doing something fun <laughs> in your life. You know, it's 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 addictive. Yeah. It's uh, you're chasing dopamine hits without doing drugs. <laughs> yeah. Very true. You're, yeah, you're constantly yeah. trying to test something out, and when when you get it right, it just feels great. Yeah, yeah. And so you you you're getting it right. Are you at liberty to share with us? Maybe you don't have to say any company names, but. Even local projects. Have you done anything with cities or counties yet? Uh, or we've, are you going to? We've not dealt with cities or counties okay. just yet. Uh, just because, you know, that uh, that sales cycle is completely different. And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a different form of sales engine that you need. And I think, as a great man once said, focus is about saying no. So for now, we are focused on customers that spend over a billion dollars in construction every okay. year that build a certain specific class of projects that are over a minimum of $30 million in contract value. And we'd probably only start with a project that's that small. We we jump very quickly to projects that are $100 million plus. So, you know, some of our customers that I can name are DPR Construction, Sutter Health, uh, Henso Phelps, which, um, which you know, built uh, Denver International Airport. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah. How, how about architects? If you work with uh, a number of them, 
as well? We work with them more as, you know, an embedded part of the project team. But our customers are usually general contractors and owners. General contractors and owners. How about developers as well? It depends, again, on what kind of construction projects they're doing. Yeah. In a lot of cases, developers work on massive residential projects or commercial offices and things like that. So if the project is complex enough, we take it on. But for now... Conventionally, we like to focus on projects that are incredibly complex, where the risk of running over schedule is very, very high. Because our belief is that if we prove ourselves out on those projects, which we absolutely are, it sets the foundation for the company going forward. You know, we like to take on the toughest projects at this early stage. Yeah. What made you decide to, that was your, um, uh, those were the, uh, the people that you're going to work with in the billion dollars per year? Was it because they actually, had large projects, you wanted the complexity, or you know, what was the reason? If you, you sure. Know, sure, one one was of course the complexity, okay. right? If you think about a healthcare project, for example, it's unfortunately we're on radio, but if you look at these projects, it's building that complex piece of IKEA furniture you had on steroids. Okay, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> you make one mistake, half an inch off here or there on one object. And you can be in hot water in three or four weeks where you've overspent hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? On kind of this ripple effect of the problem compounding. So the first reason was just that we thought that those projects needed the most support from a tool like this. The second was that, in again, in this early stage of a company, more than customers, we are looking for partners. We want to build deep relationships with customers we want to be, you know, most of our customers, we know their kids' names, we know their, their we know about their families. And I, I say that just as a proxy to explain that that's what it takes to understand what a customer needs and to build something that will work for them, not just for the next project, but for the next hundred projects. Wow. So deep customer relationships are important. And it doesn't make sense for us to do that with uh, customers who are not spending that much. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. A match is interesting, but so yeah, it sounds like you're so personal for such high technology. <laughs> you know, it, it, it almost sounds counterintuitive to go, wait a minute, how do you develop these relationships where you know their, the names of their children and yet you're dealing with these multi-billion dollar projects? It, it seems like it, it's not it's not congruent. It's not normal in the media where the, there is that personal connection. It sounds like that's, in a way, is that kind of your goal is to get that deep with your I clients? Think, I think it just comes with sharing a common mission. When, okay. when you meet a customer that knows the value of your solution, the reality is that they've been looking for you as much as you've been looking for them. Uh, let's touch back on that when we return. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Willing to open your heart and home to a shelter dog in need for six to eight weeks? Oakland Animal Services is looking for a dog and puppy foster homes. The shelter gives you the pet supplies and support you need, and you provide the love and help the pet needs to get adopted. Of course, if you fall in love, you can adopt your foster dog permanently. To learn more, contact oasdogfoster at gmail.com or visit www.paleastbay.org. We're talking today with Sarab Ladat. A Forbes 30 under 30 for enterprise tech and CEO and co-founder of Doxel Incorporated. Doxel brings artificial intelligence to construction. For more information, feel free to visit www.doxel.ai. That's www.d o 
X-E-L dot A-I. Sarab, you had a common mission. Share with us your idea of the common mission and common vision. Yeah, so let me talk about that with um, something a little, little more concrete. So there's a new kind of contract structure in construction, which is gaining popularity. It's called integrated project delivery. And what integrated project delivery tries to do is rather than creating a structure in the team where everyone's kind of fighting everyone else, which is common in, say, you know, the conventional kind of... Quite common. Yes. Conventional kind of guaranteed maximum price kind of contract structure. IPD is designed to bring all the project stakeholders together and to reward them for a common goal, which is the project coming in under budget. And, you know, there's all kinds of compensation structures built around that, that, you know, we'll split the savings and so on and so forth. So IPD is a movement inside of construction, which is fundamentally built to reward productivity, right? Which is not the case everywhere. When you meet a customer that's already trying to sort of do the common sense thing, which is, you know, create something that rewards efficiency, That's the kind of customer where I say that they're already fighting this battle. They're already figuring out solutions to solve this problem of projects going over schedule and over budget. And when you find customers like that, it's almost, it's the stamp that they want to leave on the industry. It's the legacy that they want to have. So that's what I mean by a common mission. Okay. How, uh, share with us some of the joys uh, that you've experienced. I know we've talked about the pains and a lot of the challenges and how it's daily. What are, are some of the joys that you've experienced? Closing our first been, customer yeah. uh, was a huge, yeah. huge uh, excitement. Oh, yeah. um, getting our uh, biggest ever deal, uh, which we closed last week, was exciting. Excellent. Yeah. So those are a couple of things that are exciting. I think every time we see customers use our product and derive value out of it where we detect something that was incorrectly installed, et cetera, and seeing the smile on their face when we when they find that or the surprise is a huge, huge joy. I love that. You see the smile. There we go again. It's the, the highest level, at least, at least today, of technology to make this process simpler and have deliver greater value. But yet you're still looking at the smile on their face. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what you're, that's what you're yeah. building, right? You're trying, to, you're trying to optimize your customer's happiness. Revenue, et cetera, comes from yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it does. But to, to actually know that this, all of these, everything that you're doing with the company is actually to arrive there ultimately Pretty for much. you and for them for and for the people who are going to be in the building Absolutely. and working or, or, or living in it. Most of the, your customers U.S.-based currently? All of our customers are U.S.-based all currently. Are. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of demand coming in from multiple countries in the world, especially Asia. We want to stay focused on the U.S. for now. Okay. Is it, well, you don't have to say, it's like for the next five years or 10 years, whatever it is, but that's your focus. For now. Uh, I yeah. mean, we'll see what happens in the future, but for now it's the U.S. Yeah. So do you have the, your rovers and the, and the drones, are they purchased, are they... Uh, not off the shelf, but do you purchase them from someone or you make them as well and you put your processes in them? We don't actually manufacture the, okay. the hardware. I think no company can be good at doing everything. What we like to focus on is the software. And furthermore, 
the AI part of the software, as well as sort of the civil engineering chops to be able to understand budgets and schedules and cross-reference against that. I think those are the two things that we want to stay focused on. The hardware is not something that we manufacture ourselves. Okay. How soon do you get in the process of the building? At the very beginning, before they even, now that you've been uh, work with companies, before, how soon are you involved in the process? And if you're not early, can you still come in in the middle? We can come in in the middle. At this stage, we don't like doing that. We prefer getting involved right from the get-go, just because it's not it's not just about the technology. It's about the people and how they use it. And creating a met- methodology in the project helps a lot from the beginning. So that's what we usually like to do. We get involved with the excavation phase, and we're involved with the team all the way until the project closes. Yeah. How soon um, do you have other... Uh projects in mind that uh, your customers bring you that you're like, wait a minute, let's work on this first or no, you're ready to go whenever they are. We're ready to go whenever they are. Yeah. I um, I mean, we can deploy to uh, a large number of projects. It, it, it's software at the end of the day. But <laughs> again, this takes this takes me back to my uh, the point I made earlier today, which is that it's important at this stage to be selective about the customers you take on and just make sure that what you're delivering matches what they want. Yeah. Overwhelmingly successful. Uh, you, you, we, you talk about that. How, how so? How is it overwhelmingly successful uh, in your experience? I'm going to have to get into numbers to answer that question. Okay. I can't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even a trick question. I just, I saw it and I go, you know what? I like to, I want to, okay, then describe the feeling of overwhelming success. Sure. Yeah. So I think initially when you're like looking or you're figuring out product market fit, you hear a lot of people saying different things. You hear someone saying, I want this, I want that, blah, blah, blah. And the things that they want all seem divergent, you know. Overwhelming success is customer after customer contacting you and saying, I've been looking for exactly this for three years, right? Overwhelming success is a customer emailing you and saying, your video was inspirational, right? I talked about this 10 years ago. The technology just wasn't there yet. Someone saying, I tried to build this four years ago. (laughs) And I, yeah, absolutely. So that's overwhelming success. And I think, The other thing that landed up happening was we weren't just the ones talking about it. The community was talking about it. We didn't talk about the fact that this thing can automate payments publicly. We started seeing that other people started extending the idea and pretty much spelling out our vision for us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, as well as in meetups. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think overwhelming success just in terms of the message uh, is. Yeah. How about your family? How, how's your response been to your uh, the overwhelming success? I mean, they yeah. my uh, my family just gushing over. I mean, I, I'm not trying to uh, pat you on the back. I, I am patting you on the back because it's it's a major undertaking that you've done. It's a, it's a massive, and it's not over. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah. I, and I think that that hits the nail on the head. I uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so my parents are always encouraging. They're never too encouraging. Oh, how how so? Like not. Encouraging, but not too. Yeah. So, for example, you know, if I'm a little bit, if I'm very excited or something like that, <laughs> okay. you know, sometimes uh, my mom or my dad would just be like, "Oh, all right, awesome, time for champagne," and then get back to work. <laughs> Do they really? I'm like, I know that, guys. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty old by this point. <laughs> but, but they still share it with you as if you're um, 
as if you're still a child. Pretty much. That, that's how parents are. Yeah. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And they both get that having built businesses. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a number of quotes and I'm, I don't recall who actually said it, but I'll reference uh, Michelangelo. It's, it's uh, along the lines of, of creativity, not versus. Yeah. OK, let's do that. Creativity versus discovery. Do you, which one do you feel is more important or what do you, you utilize in your professional life and your business life? Creativity or discovery? Maybe both. There's no trick answer on it. I, I just want to hear your take and our audience would as well. Yeah, maybe. I'm not as smart a man as Michelangelo, but I, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I don't... Uh... He'd love you. <laughs> sure. Of it. Okay, you'd be friends. All right? <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> I don't quite uh, understand the distinction as well. I think that creativity and discovery, uh, there's sort of a Venn diagram with a massive overlap in the middle. I think creativity is just applying an old solution to a new problem. That's it. It's Say again, an old... Creativity is applying an old solution to a new problem. Okay. Right? It's applying a solution that exists, that exists somewhere else, and it's applied to a new problem. I think creativity has to be combined with discovery in this kind of a space. But again, perhaps I haven't quite understood the nuance of the distinction here. So forgive yeah. me if I haven't. No, no, there's, there's no, as you said, there's no right or wrong answer. There's just a, occasionally I like to ask that for discovery. I think it's actually, it's really my own agenda is I'm a, in a position to say almost everything is discovery. The answer is there. You have to discover it and uh, things change. I actually use where it came from. It was, um, uh, his name is Ahmad Jamal is a pian jazz pianist. And he had said, I was listening to the radio and he had said, um, he's very inspirational to a number of artists. And the, uh, the guest, or the, the guest asked him, you know, how you're so creative, you know, you've influenced so many, so many musicians. And he said, I'm not really that creative. And he's like, it just stopped. What do you mean? Not creative. <laughs> and he says, it's, it's really about discovery. Cause when you put yourself in a position of discovery, then you always try to find out, you know, that there's an answer and you'll dig through until you find it. And so I almost literally <laughs> ran into a pole because it was just, wow, I've never thought of that that way. So I'm using a, a musician. I don't know if it's relevant in this space, but his take on it, and that was only like two or three years ago. And that shifted my paradigm to go, wait a minute. What if you looked at things as discovery? Like you, you talked about some of the, uh, the wonderful testimonials of people writing to you or talking to you and saying, I was thinking of this, uh, you know, I was thought of doing this four years ago, or I wish this was around three years ago. So it was always there. You're the one who found it. I mean, you, you're, and you're not even done. Yeah. yeah that's I, what I mean. So. I, I hear what you're saying. I think, you know, we're going to get a little bit philosophical here, but the question that's is okay. philosophical. Um, yeah. So I think problems are things that have to be discovered. Solutions are things that have to be invented. Okay. And, when people say that, you know, I thought about this, when they see it, they know they were thinking about it. But when you go to customers and you hear what their problem is and you try to propose a solution and you do it with a bunch of words or a mock-up or things like that, oftentimes they say, no, 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 that's not the solution that I'm looking for. And the reality is that oftentimes customers are not able to understand that it is the solution they're looking for. They just can't visualize it or you're not doing a good enough job of explaining how it works or what it does or how it's going to change their life on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think that sort of what we do is we, we listen to customers about the problem, but we listen to ourselves about what the solution should be. Okay. That's where the creativity comes in. Yes. Saurabh, so, with, with architecture and um, construction business constantly evolving, the expectations 
for builders evolve as well. What have you seen change in the last, say, three to five years? In terms of um, architecture? Yes, or and even construction, you know, just the, the building process. I think yeah. that BIM technologies BIM? Okay. Uh, yeah. are accelerating incredibly fast. I think not just the adoption of BIM, but now you have customers that are getting more and more sophisticated with how they how they use BIM with you know technologies like uh, Autodesk uh, Glue, mm-hmm. um, you know better version control on models. I think that that's a very healthy change which I've seen in the last three to five years. Three to five. Okay, excellent. This is the Modern Architect KZSU ninety point one FM Stanford. For more than 25 years, Wednesday Night Live has been broadcasting live performances of local Bay Area bands on KZSU. From those who would go on to become huge to amazing artists that few have heard of, Wednesday Night Live is the longest running live and local concert series in college radio. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 p.m. on 90.1 FM or streaming on the web at kzsu.stanford.edu backslash live. And if you know of a band that you'd like featured on a future broadcast, feel free to email us at WNL at kzcu.stanford.edu. We're talking today with Sarab Lada of Forbes 30 Under 30 for Enterprise Tech and CEO and co-founder of Doxel Incorporated. Doxel brings artificial intelligence to construction. For more information, feel free to visit www.doxel.ai. That's www.doxel.ai. So, Rob, in your, uh, what is your mindset or uh, the experience needed to help um, share your your vision and your uh, Doxel's vision with builders in the, in the 21st century? I know the 21st century is long. Hopefully, we live throughout the whole part of it. But um, what what is uh, how is how challenging or not challenging is it to share what Doxel does to uh, to your prospective clients? It's not very challenging. I think um, I think the starting point when we talk to customers is just the problems that they're facing, and they're very very familiar with the problems that they're facing. And when you explain the what the solution can do and how it can solve that problem, it resonates instantly. So I think explaining what the product does today is incredibly easy, and the product almost sells itself. I think by design. Was that by design or that, no? It's just so. It just so happened. Okay. Um, I, and again, it goes back to our focus on discovering problems and you know creating solutions. I think in terms of you know where people get really excited is what we're planning to do with this company in the future and where we're planning to go. I think you know there was a I don't remember the gentleman's name. There was a guy at the Oracle who was a master salesman, and he often used to say that. Most of my customers buy the future, not the present. And that's so true because if you think about what it takes for a customer to adopt a new process, to pitch a new company internally, and to actually get vested in their success and yours, it takes a lot of energy. Knowing what that company is planning to do in the next couple of years is incredibly important. And that's frankly where I think our customers get the most excited. Yeah. Speaking of takes a lot of energy, how else do you, um, you're 24 seven, uh, with Doxel. How else do you, uh, relieve stress? Do you meditate? Do you work out? Do you (laughs) swim? Do you bike? What else do you do if you, if you don't mind sharing with us? I hike and I go to the gym. You do. 
Is on yeah. a regular basis, like a habit or a part of... Uh, on a regular basis. And, and when you hike and when you go to the gym, are you still thinking about Toxel and your customers? Yes, I know the answer. <laughs> sort of, I know <laughs> the answer, the time, but yes. I want, I want the, the, the audience to hear it, you know, from you. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. probably, yeah. Do you ever... How, how do you de-stress from, from all of this? I mean, it's not stressful. It's, okay. I mean, yes, it is stressful, but... I'm doing what I'm doing out of choice and I enjoy what I'm doing. I love my job. I absolutely love my job and I'm yeah. fortunate to be in this position and to, to have the universe give me this chance. And I think that it's just an obsessive video game. <laughs> <laughs> an obsessive. So yeah, you've made that, you've made the, the choice, but a, a lot of the choice would um, crumble a lot of people. Uh, you may even have fr- family and friends that if they tried this, you know them well enough that it would just, collapse them yeah because it's it's so it's so uh rigid and challenging and uh, daunting sure um so it's really not daunting to you it sounds like it's more of a calling than it is a vocation i mean uh, it, maybe i'm looking a little spiritual on it but no no it i'm on you think it, it's accurate to say it, uh, it is somewhat of a calling i i'd be lying if i said that uh, i'm not scared from time to time or you know that uh, that it's not daunting of course it's daunting yeah. um but i i'm fortunate to be surrounded by the right group of people my team is phenomenal my team inspires me every day and i am also incredibly lucky to have a co-founder who's really a professional soulmate Excellent. Um, yeah. Who compliments me, who challenges me. And I think both of us are incredibly persistent people. And, you know, beyond that point, you've got friends, you've got uh, yeah. other founder friends, you've got other friends, you've got a lot of support. And uh, that's how you keep yeah. going. Share your ca- co-founder, your, 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 their name. Uh, Robin. Name? Rob- Robin. Uh, okay. Yeah. And how did you meet? We actually met 10 years ago okay. in uh, college. And okay. I wanted to build a fully autonomous drone that could fly indoors in an environment just like this office with lots of rooms and lots of intricate spaces and things like that. Mm-hmm. Navigate around the whole space like a spy drone, find a target object, pick it up, bring it back without any human intervention back in 2010. Okay. It's still a pretty tough problem, but considerably easier now. But in 2010, it was incredibly hard. And both of us met just over a common interest in using computer vision technologies to enable a drone to do this. Because flying indoors is hard. You you don't have access to GPS, so the drone becomes a, a hockey puck. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah. So you need computer vision to actually stabilize it and teach it how to fly. So we just worked day and night, me and him, for ten months and we landed up winning uh, the world championship at Did uh, you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so great. That was in two thousand and ten or eleven, I think. Yeah. So that frankly, we became professional friends first. And there was just a deep level of respect because both of us were in the lab every day, every night, and we were always there working the longest hours. So it just became a very uh, strong level of respect for each other's intellect, I think. And frankly, I discovered that he was 10 times smarter than me in 10 short months. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Absolutely. I, discovered. I see there's discovery so, again. Uh, yeah, they, so, so that's what uh, yeah. started the friendship. And uh, here we are. Yeah. So how, was the, how would you describe the, the culture at Doxel? I think there there are three things that are very, very important at Doxel. The first thing that's important at Doxel is ownership. We are not a company where anyone says, this is not my problem. 
everyone is willing to help and to do whatever it takes to get the job done for customers. I think the second thing at Doxel is a culture of intellectual honesty. We disagree a lot. We like disagreeing. And we do that because the best idea should win because that's the right thing to do for customers and our egos should not get in the way. The third thing, and this is very important with the first two being said, is empathy. We care about each other's lives. We care about the challenges that we are facing personally. And I think that's an absolute essential thing in an extreme production environment because there will be days when people mess up. I mess up. There will be days when people can't stay at work until, you know, X a.m. to get something done. And it's just a beautiful moment when team members pitch in and say, it's fine. You've got to go back to your kid. You've got to go back to your wife or, you know, some, someone's sick or you need to get your, your sink fixed or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Just empathizing yeah. with each other's challenges helps in creating a more cohesive unit. So those are the three things that are important to us. Ownership, intellectual honesty, and uh, empathy. Yeah, they, they, those don't sound like um, they're learned. They sound like they're kind of uh, intrinsic from you. Is it? Yeah, it, it I would say accurate? so. Yeah. I, I would say that's the kind of people we attract, and that's the kind of people we hire. Excellent. So, Rob, in closing, at least for this show, what would you, what, what we've discussed, what, what else would you like to add or or value you'd like to share with our audience and listeners about something we may not have touched upon? I think we've covered pretty much everything. I think closing remarks, I'd, uh, I'd just thank you guys both for, for giving us uh, a shot at, uh, you know, talking about what we do. And, and yeah, hopefully 20 years later, we'll be seeing a very different future with this technology. I'm sure. And it'll be, it'll be terrific as well. Sir Rob, it's been an honor and pleasure having you, really. Thank you very much for being on the uh, Modern Architect. Yeah, thanks, guys. I hope you consider coming back to us uh, in the near future. Absolutely. This was, this was awesome fun. Thank you very much. Yeah. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Sarab Lada, CEO and co-founder of Doxel Incorporated. Doxel monitors construction sites using autonomous robots quantifies progress using deep learning-based computer vision, and provides managers with actionable insights to eliminate overruns and costly delays. For more information, feel free to visit www.doxel.ai. That's www.doxel.ai. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and mobily around the Bay Area, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Caleb B. Smith. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? 
Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect.